5: vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there.
2: You're done. This is this is a no.
5: This is a no on this legislation. I have tried everything I know to do.
1: That was the voice of Senator Joe Manchin and he's talking about the Build Back Better bill. He's saying he will not vote for it. What does that mean exactly? Well, several things. It means that the uh, the senators the democratic senators will not be able to pass that massive spending bill it's not just the money although that's bad enough it's also the parts of the bill uh, the environmental the switching us to electric cars the millions of dollars for and billions of dollars for things that will uh provide for more chicanery in elections it's everything It's everything they want wrapped up in one uh, package. And just uh, remember that Bernie Sanders is the one who's been shepherding this through the Senate. And that should tell you right there how bad the bill is. But we've been telling you about that for a long time. And so the Senate was going to pass this on so-called reconciliation because it is a budget bill. And there's a rule that you can pass a bill, bypass the, uh, the filibuster rule, which requires 60 votes. In order to vote on something, that you can bypass it if there's some sort of a budget element to it. So they had fully been planning to pass this by a margin of 51 votes. They only have 50, uh, or you know, it's it's a uh, 50 to 50 in the Senate, and so the Vice President has to cast uh, the tie-breaking vote. And they thought they could easily uh, get this thing passed through reconciliation. And so one Democratic senator, one Democratic senator, Joe Manchin says no. I'm not doing it. And one other thing he said is, my Democratic colleagues in Washington are determined to dramatically reshape our society in a way that leaves our country even more vulnerable to the threats we face. I thought that was an interesting quote because before I've heard him talk about uh, uh, inflation, which is a real, very serious problem we're facing right now, and it's not going to go away anytime soon, and you're going to see it more and more in everything that you buy, everything that you do. Gas prices rising and so he's been talking about that, but I hadn't heard him talk about the heart of it to me. Uh it, well, it's all important, but that the bill will dramatically reshape our society in a way that leaves our country even more vulnerable to the threats we face. Uh I have to say I your host, your morning talk show host was wrong about this because I didn't I've never seen Joe Manchin take a stand like this and i I predicted that he wouldn't that he would cave and so the left uh, from Bernie Sanders to Ilhan Omar to uh um the uh White House press secretary they're all over him they're so mad, they're furious, they're calling him names they're they're you know stomping and screaming, and I don't have time to even give you their remarks. Let's just say that he is um uh, he's like uh, not very popular among them, which actually is very encouraging to me if they're that upset with him, then I think he really means it and so with a stroke of a word, no, I can't do it. No, he said to Brett Bear, uh, it looks like it's dead, just because of him. And so, if Joe Manchin never does another thing right, you know, I we need to mark this in history. God bless Joe Manchin. Uh, this is this is amazing. Um, this is a great Christmas present to America. This is good news, and we have so little of it. This is huge, big good news because they had planned to revamp everything through this bill. They were salivating. And now it's all, and it wasn't because of Mitch McConnell. Oh no, it wasn't because of Mitch McConnell and the Republican leadership who have sat by and watched the left like rabid dogs devour more and more of the country and the control of it. Uh, no, it's not them because meanwhile, they've been padding their pockets, uh, and comfortably enjoying their positions of power, but they have never fought. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's, Disgusting. More disgusting to me sometimes than the uh, the Democrats. You know where they stand. <laughs> we know where they are. They say what they want, and they go for it. But the Republicans, you know, oh uh, wah, 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 they bluster, they come before the mics, and then they do nothing. I've really had it with them. But uh, Joe Manchin has said no. And that's not the end of the good news. Um, I actually should play this ABC report, which will explain the details a little bit better. And then I want to tell you the, the next good bit of good news. This is clip six.
5: Democrats now unlikely to pass the bill before the new year. Terry Moran is tracking the latest. Good morning, Terry. Good
6: morning, George. That's right. Democrats will once again fail to meet one of their own self-imposed deadlines. This one uh, to pass by Christmas, President Biden's ambitious domestic spending agenda. Uh, Biden just can't get Senator Joe Manchin, maybe one or two others, on board that nearly $2 trillion Build Back Better bill. And the big sticking point this time, the child tax credit. That provides most American families with kids up to $300 per child per month. Manchin says that's just too expensive, uh, and President Biden uh, wants it very much in his bill, of course. It expires on December 31st, so there's urgency around that. Uh, Democrats have suggested that maybe they'll pass some version of this bill in January. Stay tuned.
5: Okay. Meanwhile, Terry, the president seems to be towards, pivoting towards voting rights, trying to get that done before the end before the new year. That's not necessarily going to be any easier.
6: Oh, that's going to be very hard, George. He, he did say yesterday, and this is a, a sign from him, he said there's nothing domestically more important than voting rights. And he wants to put that now at the front of the agenda. The problem is the filibuster. He needs 60 votes in the Senate to get it done. And once again, Senator Joe Manson and Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona, they have made clear they are not going to change the filibuster. So it looks like right across the board, the president's agenda is stuck.
1: Yeah, it's stuck. So sad, uh, yeah, and so and, and to that, to the voter rights thing, of course, that that was that was George Stephanopoulos, and that's before Joe Munch, and later in the day said no, he was a big no. He said that to Red bear no, that means no i'm not i'm not I can't vote for it, I can't support it. I can't do this, and so uh right away, Joe Biden did pivot to the so called voter rights bill, which has gone by all these other names. We've been talking about this since he came to power. Uh, about how they want to revamp our entire voter system and enshrine in law many of the things that happened in the 2020 election, like mail-in voting and uh, just all kinds of things, no signatures, no proper identification. I mean, they were ready to go salivating, you know, once again, about all the wonderful things they could do if they didn't have that icky voter identification rule and all the other uh, verification. that, that The voter was actually who they said they were. But uh, now Kristen Sinema has come out, you know, double down. She will not allow. uh, She will not allow them to pass that on reconciliation. She will not vote uh, for uh, cloture to be done away with in order to vote for this bill. So she's actually, she made a statement, supposedly, behind closed doors, that there were other members of the Democratic Senate caucus uh, who also were hesitating about this bill, but that, that they were hiding behind her skirt. So, you know, that's a little humor. So, but now I want you to know something because this was, I found this very interesting. You know, I talk about voter integrity a lot and what happened in 2020 because I actually happened to think there was a problem, but I was all wrong. I have been totally wrong about that. Eric Sean set us straight on Fox News on Sunday, Clip 11.
5: You know, we're still hearing about those discredited claims that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. Well, now an exhaustive investigation says it was not and that the number of suspicious votes in the six key battleground states turned out to be 473. This from an exhaustive Associated Press investigation of every potential voter fraud case in those states. The AP says it found there was no conspiracy to rig the election and there were near enough votes, they say, to affect the result that were suspicious. In Arizona, the number of suspicious votes tallied 198. Georgia 64, Michigan 56, Nevada 98, Pennsylvania 26, Wisconsin 31. That totals the 473 out of nearly 22 million votes that were cast in those six states. And voter fraud cases are being prosecuted right now. The latest arrests are three residents of the huge Florida retirement community, The Villages, charged with voting twice. Officials say two of those who were arrested are registered Republicans. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, a 72-year-old registered Republican there was sentenced to three years probation after authorities say he voted in person, then went back wearing sunglasses to vote in uh, his son's name. Prosecutors say a 68-year-old man tried to get an absentee ballot in that state using his dead name. Okay, that's enough. You get,
1: the point. you get the point. You get the point. Look, this is an exhaustive study by the AP, exhaustive, into all six of those key states. And there were only 473 fraudulent votes in all of the 22 million cast. Only 473. So says Eric Sean. Problem is, he's talking about apples and oranges. He's talking about actual voter, a single person voter fraud cases where one person went into the polls and did something, falsified information. And there's some claim about that. That's all they tracked. They're not tracking all the things that you and I are talking about. And if that, you know, if you listen to Cleta Mitchell, who was with me on Friday, we broke down what's happening in various states and what we are finding. But if that's, you know, not enough, then I'll just tell you this story. Uh, there is a Philadelphia mob boss. His He's called Skinny Joe Merlino. Uh, and... Um, he has, okay, let me just read this. This is, from, what is this from? This is the Buffalo Chronicle. The innermost circles of the American mafia are a buzz. The boss of the Philly mob, Skinny Joe Merlino, is taking a victory strut, hobnobbing around the highest echelons of old-time mafia folk, mostly in Florida, describing what may have been the heist of the century, the 22, 2022, tw- <laughs> The 2020 presidential election. But an associate says that Merlino might just be willing to flip on Joe Biden and the Pennsylvania political operatives who ordered up some 300,000 election ballots marked for Biden. A source alleges that Merlino and a lean team of associates manufactured those ballots at a rate of $10 per ballot, a whopping $3 million for three days of work. They were then packaged into nondescript cardboard boxes and dropped off outside the Philadelphia Convention Center. Sources who spoke to the Chronicle on the condition of anonymity said that Merlino picked up those ballots from two private households where a trusted handful of associates were busily marking ballots with Sharpie markers. They were paid more than $1,000 per hour, often producing thousands of ballots every hour for more than 60 nearly consecutive hours. And the ballots were purchased in cash. Uh, It's thought that the Democratic Party operatives working inside Philadelphia's election office provided Merlino with crates of raw ballots just hours before the polls closed on election night, which he transported to two private households in South Philadelphia. By 10 p.m. that night, Merlino's operation was already generating more than 3,000 ballots per hour, which quickly scaled to more than 6,000 ballots per hour before midnight. But now Merlino might just be willing to flip on Biden in prime time congressional testimony, if President Donald J. Trump is willing to issue the longtime mobster a full expungement of his decades-long criminal record, and of course he wants to be pardoned for the election fraud itself and any other crimes in which he may incriminate himself during testimony. All right, now look, I can't. He hasn't done that, as this is a story in uh, the Buffalo Chronicle. But the story's very detailed. It's actually not the first time I've heard about this, but that's more detail than I've heard. So, you know, maybe Eric, Shun, maybe the AP didn't look into this, you think? No, I'm sure they did not. Because all they did was uh, they looked in the six states, according to what he said, to the individual cases of charges being launched against individuals who voted, you know, illegally. Now, I don't even know if that's complete, what they did. I, I don't know enough about it. I just read the article. Uh, I just heard Eric say what you heard Eric say. All I can say is there is enough fraud to sink a battleship in these states, and it's coming in different ways. It's coming in voter fraud. It's coming in manufactured ballots. It's coming in found ballots. It's coming in postal workers uh, changing, you know, information. It's, it, you know, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, so don't be confused. And Eric, you know, he used to be good. After 9-11, he really was he was very impassioned about the, the attack on New York. I'm not sure what happened to him, but something did, and now he's busily, you know, maybe he'll go to work for CNN. I, maybe I should recommend that. All right, well, there's more good news this morning, actually, more good news, so stay tuned. Sadie Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
0: One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. That was a legalization of abortion. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slaughtered in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light supports life. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Join Kevin Sorbo
5: and Preborn in Standing for Life. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or donate securely at preborn.com.
1: This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
6: Today we pray for Lloyd Austin, U.S. Secretary of Defense. He leads the U.S. Department of Defense. Second Samuel 22, verses 3 and 4 reminds us of God's protection. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, and you saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear God, please protect Lloyd Austin as he leads the Defense Department. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, with the generous support of listeners like you. Our radio ministry is in our fourth year on the air. Keep the power of prayer going and become a regular, sustaining member. Details at PauseToPray.org.
3: Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. You need a university you can trust that offers a world-class education with the values, knowledge, and skills you need to succeed. That place is Liberty University, and now is the perfect time to start. This fall, Liberty is celebrating 50 years of training champions for Christ, a mission that has not wavered since it opened in 1971. With more than 700 programs online and on campus, Liberty can help you turn your vision into a future you can be proud of. Text EXPLORE to the number 49596. That's EXPLORE to the 49596. If you send your kid to public university, there's a good chance he's going to return home as a flag-burning communist. That's according to a new study from North Dakota State University. They asked liberal students and conservative students about their opinions on America. 73% of conservatives say they are proud to be an American, but liberals, well, not so much. 57% of the leftist children said they're ashamed of our nation, ashamed of the land of the free. The percentages shocked even the professors who conducted the study. Past surveys showed that most Americans were proud to be American regardless of their political affiliation. North Dakota State also found liberal students believe there should be crackdowns on free speech and only 9%, 9% favored capitalism, only 13% opposed socialism. So here's what's going on. Socialists are using our tax dollars to fundamentally transform our nation from the home of the brave to the home of the woke. I'm Todd Starnes.
0: Merry Christmas from American Family Radio and Sandy Rios in the Morning. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at That's Sandy at Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio.
4: vaccinated we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death They're unvaccinated for
2: themselves their families and the hospital they'll soon overwhelm
1: all right so there you go what was that we're looking for a winter of severe illness and death says the president of the united states we're looking for we're looking forward here this is going to happen a winter of severe illness and death especially for the unvaccinated. So just, you know, hang on. You have a lot to look forward to. And of course, uh, someone has observed that they're losing, they, meaning Dr. Fauci, President Biden and his administration, all these uh, governors that love the lockdowns and even people who love the mandates and the lockdowns, they're losing the argument. People are pushing back. People want to be free. And they're finding out that this is really, when you look back on the words that have been spoken and the minds that have been changed and the The promises that we're going to have just a few weeks of lockdown, there will, you know, then this will be over. And if you just have a vaccine, you'll never get the virus and you'll be fine. And then, but now you need a booster and then you'll be fine. But then you're not fine. Elizabeth Warren, actually, by the way, has COVID. She's doubly vaxxed and boosted. Cory Booker, the senator, also now is reporting that he has COVID. He's the same. So that's not true. So people say, wait a second. But you told us. You told us we could have our lives back, but oh, we're not getting our lives back now. We're going to have to go in more lockdowns because now places all over the country are locking down, universities are locking down, uh, schools are locking down. Not everywhere, but in many places, uh, things are locking down. And I found it really interesting. On the heels of that story, uh, there is a there's kind of a more, at least more exposure now of all the money. Uh, that the federal government gave in COVID-19 emergency relief funds have gone to teachers getting raises and bonuses and administrators. So all that money, that tax money that they gave to help the schools reopen, you know, to make them safe for our kids, actually went to the teachers and to the administrators and bonuses and teacher raises. And that's broken down in an article by Just the News but uh, that's that's uh, that's the ding, no. That's kind of the heading. Uh, there are uh, there are of course exceptions to this, uh, and one of them is Florida. Governor DeSantis talked about uh, the whole notion of of lockdowns and mandates uh, on uh, a Sunday news program, and this is clip nine. Let's hear what he had to say.
7: Well, Maria, first I would say that if you look at what's happened in the north in some of these states, they've had record. COVID hospitalizations, that is being driven by the Delta variant. And so, yes, we are seeing Omicron in Florida and really all throughout the country. Fortunately, Omicron has not shown to produce the same level of hospitalizations uh, as the Delta variant did. Now, we'll see if that changes. But the numbers of South Africa, you know, I thought by and large were very encouraging and didn't justify the hysteria that you saw by a lot of folks in corporate media. At the end of the day in Florida, Floridians know We will not let anybody lock them down. Uh, We will not let anyone take their jobs. We will not let anyone ruin their businesses. And we will not let anyone close their schools. So people are going to be able to live life. They're going to be able to make their own decisions. I cannot believe that something that started with 15 days to slow the spread now almost two years later You're seeing lockdowns and closures. There are places, Maria, some of these universities, they force everyone to be vaccinated. They force them to wear masks and they still lock down because you have uh, these cases going up. And so in Florida, people are going to be able to make those decisions. We do put a lot of emphasis, unlike most states and certainly unlike the Biden administration, on early treatment when people do get infected. And it's not just unvaccinated, like they like to say. Our monoclonal antibody clinics that we set up across the state, the majority of people that go to those are fully vaccinated, high-risk people. And so since we've rolled out our monoclonal antibody clinics, you know, we've had one of the lowest hospitalization rates uh, in the country. So we're gonna continue focusing on early treatment and we're gonna continue protecting people's individual choices and freedoms.
1: Well, that's a good thing if you live in Florida. But it's not such a good thing if you don't live in Florida. All over the country, even Republican governors have been so slow to defend their people against these federal mandates. And so you will recall when last we spoke about this, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals had overturned uh, one of Biden's mandates. And this mandate was that companies who had 100 employees or more Uh, were forced to have their employees vaccinated, or they could not stay on the job. And so people have been losing their jobs left and right, are being threatened, and it's caused such consternation. We've had so many discussions about it. So many of you have been affected by that. And then you know that the Fifth Circuit Court put a stay on that. They stopped the mandate, stopped them uh, from OSHA. Uh, Well, so uh, since we last spoke, there were so many challenges to the Biden mandates that they uh, used a lottery to decide which circuit court would be the court that heard all of these challenges. And the lottery fell to the Sixth Circuit Court. So my the Fifth Circuit Court is uh, allegedly the most conservative court in the, in the United States. The Sixth Circuit, not so much. Not like the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco, but not as, conser- not as reliably uh, faithful to the Constitution, shall I say, as the Fifth Circuit Court. So, guess what happened in the last couple of days? The Sixth Circuit Court, a panel of three judges, one of them, uh, in fact, the one that wrote the majority opinion, an Obama appointee, decided to reinstate the Biden mandates. So, that's three members of that circuit. I can't understand why the, someone did not appeal to. Have an en banc, as they call it, hearing where all of the justices from the Sixth Circuit hear this. But it was only three of them. Uh, I don't know what would have happened if they'd all heard it. And I don't know why uh, now suddenly all of these entities are appealing to the Supreme Court. That actually makes me nervous because the Supreme Court has shown, really, that they are just cowardly when it comes to these things. They have already made two major decisions ruling against people like the last one, well healthcare workers in New York State who were appealing just that they they could they could not get a religious exemption in New York state and uh, in, in spite of their conscience on aborted tissue being used uh, aborted cells fetal tissue cells being used in these uh, vaccines or other kinds of conscience you know the right to the the sanctity of the human body and all of those things they just the court said no they had no right the supreme court so now it's going to go to the supreme court and it's pretty distressing to me to be honest i was pretty upset about this um Three companies now are appealing uh, to the Supreme Court. They are uh, Phillips Manufacturing and Tower Company, Sixarp, and Oberg Industries, and the uh, Missouri Attorney General. Uh, is his name Eric, isn't it? It's uh, um, he is the one leading this. Or yeah, Eric Schmidt. He's shepherding this thing through, and uh, they are they've appealed to the Supreme Court on this. And this is what they say, frustrated with a minority of Americans' medical choices, the executive branch has attempted to control and surveil the vaccination schedules of enormous swaths of the country's population. Um, The arguments advanced by the executive branch admit to no cognizable limits on federal executive power. So they're appealing to the Supreme Court, and uh, maybe we'll hear once again, you know, what... uh, (laughs) We'll give them another chance, Amy Coney Barrett and uh, Brett Kavanaugh and uh, John Roberts, to do what's right and to remember why you went there. You went there to defend the people, not to be invited to cocktail parties in D.C. and find favor in the very liberal uh, judicial uh, uh, legal establishment. And so the rule is this is very threatening. The OSHA rule threatens fines of up to $13,600 per violation It also threatens in a fine of an additional $13,600 per day that an employer does not abate the violation. And for a willful or serious violation, OSHA can issue a fine of up to $136,000. The companies in question have until January 10th before. the OSHA has been so gracious. They've extended the deadline. They will not, you know, exact those horrific fines until January the 10th. All right, so that's time for the Supreme Court to once again disappoint us, but we'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong about that. Uh, We are seeing that companies around the country are dropping the mandates. Boeing is the the most recent. They're suspending those COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Um, An internal memo says... uh, it just it just says that based on the Fifth Circuit Court's decision, they decided to just to take just stop all the vaccine mandates, and they had got, gotten quite a bit of resistance from their employees. They're not the only ones that are doing that, though. Amtrak also is doing that. Florida's Advent Help, Health, Health, uh, Cleveland Clinic, uh, Tenet Healthcare, HCA Healthcare. There are others. Uh, who, there are others more extensive uh, that are now rescinding their mandates. I don't know. I know. So now the Sixth Circuit rules the way they did. So what are they going to do? Reinstate them quickly? I just don't know. It's just chaos. And that's what the left loves. They love their chaos. They love them some chaos. Yeah. So I know, bad English. Um, so now Ted Cruz uh, was part of the committee who grilled the CEOs of the major airlines just last week. And uh, there was a really fascinating exchange. First of all, let me just tell you that the um, CEOs of Southwest and American Airlines both said publicly in that hearing that they didn't think masking helps on airplanes. It's a uh, federal regulation, but they said they don't think it's helpful because the airlines have installed such incredible uh, filtration systems that your chances, they actually have a great study on this, the chances of getting COVID on an uh, airplane are very slim because of the way they purify their air. And so they did make that statement. But the third person, the United Airlines uh, CEO that was sitting there, uh, not so much. So Ted Cruz really launched into him. And I wanted you to hear this. This is uh, Ted Cruz with the United CEO, Scott Kirby. Uh, This is pretty fascinating. This is clip 17. Let's listen.
8: And Mr. Kirby, United's behavior on this issue, I have to say, has been deeply disturbing. Uh, I'm a frequent customer of United. I live in Houston, I've got over a million miles on United. There are over 14,000 United employees in the state of Texas. And the way United has treated its employees is in marked contrast to your competitors sitting here. Your competitors have said they will stand with their employees. United has not made that same commitment. How many pilots has United fired because of failure to comply with the Maxine mandate?
9: Uh, Well, Senator... uh I'm happy to talk also about the rationale for why we did it. We did it for safety. I I, uh, I, I have a limited time, so my question is how many pilots have you fired? I believe it is six out of thirteen. And how many
8: pilots have you placed on unpaid leave? Uh,
9: I think it's about 80. Okay. How many flight attendants have you fired? Uh, I don't know the number. In total, it's about 200 employees.
8: Well, I will tell you, I spoke this morning to the airline employees for health freedom that said they had over 2,000 United employees who had been placed on unpaid leave because they sought exemptions from the vaccine mandate. They said that, said that included 331 pilots. I will also note that I have been literally inundated with United employees complaining about United's callous disregard for the rights of the, of the pilots. One of the messages was for a pilot who flew for United for more than two decades, who applied for and received an exemption from your vaccine mandate on religious grounds, And it was subsequently placed on leave with no pay and no benefits, including no medical insurance. Now his wife, who relies on her husband's insurance, has had to postpone a necessary surgery with no idea when she'll be able to reschedule because she she has no idea when her husband will be able to fly again. And you're simultaneously enforcing a non-compete, so this pilot can't even go work for your competitors.
1: Well, that's the first part of it. I just, I just find that stunning. You know, United. I used to it used to be my airline of choice. I flew it all the time. It's uh, one of its hubs. Big basis was United was a Chicago. In fact, a, a a friend of mine that I grew up with since you know kindergarten, first grade, got a picture of him in his Boy Scout uniform. We used to laugh about that. Became the CEO of United Airlines, and so uh, they used to be one of the finest. But they were also one of the first ones to start. We can we call it wokeness now. In San Francisco, they were the first ones to embrace uh, transgender pilots. That was a long, 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 long time ago. And, uh, and, so, and it's continued to degenerate every, ever since You know, when the airlines got in trouble. I remember how the, um, the flight attendants, you may recall this, some of you that go back a long, longer way, um, it were so rude to customers. It was just so unpleasant to fly on United. I thought they had turned that around. Uh, But now they have this CEO, Scott Kirby, and it's pretty horrendous what Ted just described, Senator Cruz just described, described how they're treating their employees. And you see the discrepancy in the numbers here. Scott Kirby said there were six pilots fired, and uh, Ted says no, it's 331. And so um, uh, there was one more exchange with them that I want you to listen to before we end this part. It's clip 18. Let's listen.
8: Why is United's conduct disregarding the rights of your employees so different from the conduct of your competitor airlines, which are protecting the rights of their pilots and flight attendants and not firing them or putting them on unpaid leave for exercising their religious liberty rights?
9: Well, Senator Cruz, uh, again, we did this for safety. Uh, We believe it saved lives. I think that's my number one obligation is safety, Uh, particularly running an airline. And you have an obligation to your customers? Uh, My number one obligation is safety, um, including to our customers. Are your competitors unsafe? Uh, I think that the world is safer Um, for us. I made the decision for United. I'll let my competitors speak for themselves. Uh, I made the decision for United uh, that getting everyone vaccinated would save lives and would create a safer environment for all the other world.
8: But I will tell you this. I fly a United flight almost every week, almost without exception. When I'm on one of your flights, I get stopped by a pilot or a flight attendant, often multiple pilots or multiple flight attendants who say thank you for fighting for us. Your employees are being mistreated, and it's disappointing. Your company is better than this, and what you're doing is wrong.
1: Yeah, it's true. Thank you, Senator Cruz. And uh, this is—it gets down to human treatment. The abuse that people are uh, exacting over this COVID, these COVID rules is amazing to me. There's more on COVID when we return. Stuff happening in Europe is just amazing. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
2: When you hear this... Dr. Robert Jeffress shows what we can learn about Jesus from two remarkable encounters with the poor, the downtrodden, and the outcast. Then, Dr. Jeffress presents a selection of very special Christmas messages to help prepare our hearts for this year's celebration. Join us all this week for Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress.
0: Weekday mornings at 6 Central on American Family Radio.
6: Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The city lies four square, its length, width, and height all equal, 1,380 miles for each dimension. The city's wall is 216 feet high, 12 gates around the city, with each gate made of a single pearl. Streets of gold so pure, they're translucent. No need for a sun, God's glory lights the city. No tears, no pain, I wouldn't miss it for the world.
5: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
0: A vacation with a purpose. Hello everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. That's what some of our folks have called our spiritual heritage tours, which we're going to be doing again in 2022. Let me tell you what we do. We go on a trip to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. We see early American history there. And then we go to Washington, D.C. and George Washington's Mount Vernon on a separate tour. We do these in June and September. They're perfect weather months in that part of the country. Stephen McDowell, who is a historian and author of America's Providential History, he will be our expert on the trip. So we'll have a historian joining us on these tours. It's gonna be a wonderful time together in our nation's capital and in Colonial Williamsburg in 2022. June and September if you want to go go to the website spiritualheritagetours.com spiritualheritagetours.com
2: This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. A communist was elected as president of Chile on Sunday. Gabriel Boric will now pull his country fully into the camp of Marxists, who run most of our hemisphere and intend to take over the rest next year. Such fundamental transformations generally involve a radical leftist rewrite of the national constitution. Power is consolidated in the executive's hands. State expropriation of key industries is authorized, as is the redistribution of wealth and property. Sound familiar? That's because this formula has destroyed freedom and prosperity everywhere it has been implemented. Our Center for Security Policy warned in a powerful webinar last week that this outcome would be disastrous for Chile, Worse yet it sets the stage for similarly ominous outcomes in votes in what are basically the hemisphere's last standing free world nations, Colombia and Brazil. Learn more at securefreedom.org. This is Frank Gaffney.
0: Christmas from American Family Radio and Sandy Rios in the Morning.
10: Flight masking up, but not with one of these. He actually was wearing underwear on his face. This is Adam Jenny. <laughs>
4: to which I replied, It's a mask doing its job.
10: Wearing his statement piece, a bright red thong.
4: I think the best way to illustrate absurdity is with absurdity.
10: Jenny says he's worn underwear as a mask since the beginning of the pandemic.
4: Every single flight has been met with different different reactions from the flight crew.
10: And this time they weren't having it.
4: I am banned from flying United. So, so much for the customer is always right.
10: He got kicked off the flight, but what happened after is what really surprised him.
4: People started following, just filing off the plane. Maybe a dozen, something like that.
10: It happened after this guy questioned why Jenny got removed. Then he says others followed his lead.
4: It's nonsense, it's all nonsense. COVID doesn't know that we're at cruising altitude. It's stupid. The whole thing is theater.
10: Even as COVID cases start to climb again and hospitals fill up across the country, Jenny is comparing himself to civil rights icons.
4: Everything else that has sparked change in this country has started from everyday people. Rosa Parks was nobody famous. She changed the course of history.
10: United Airlines says Jenny wasn't in compliance with the federal mask mandate and they gave him a refund. Jenny will try to fly again tomorrow with a different airline.
4: Hopefully spirit has a better sense of humor tomorrow. We'll see, I guess.
10: Reporting in Lee County, Sarah Metz, NBC2.
1: Okay, so that's funny. Yeah, it is funny because a guy putting, you know, <clears throat> a thong, a piece of underwear on his face as his mask is pretty funny, uh, and you could say he's a, a buffoon, or that's silly, but you know he has a really good point. And the irony of the story, you can see, you know, him in his seat that someone's filming this as it's happening, is that suddenly this man stands up, another passenger. No one's yelling, no one's out of control, and they're challenging. He, he's got, is he's covered? What are you talking about? What's the problem? You say you want someone to be, you know, his face and nose covered. Uh, and so then what? A, a, did he say dozen people got off the plane? And I think, you know, this really is what it's going to take. I think of especially those situations where women were kicked off planes with their little children because a child, a baby, like a two-year-old wouldn't keep a mask on. If you remember seeing all of those, people should have gotten up and just walked off the plane. That would have done, that would have done what n- no court could do. That would have done what... Uh, nothing could do that would stop the mandates if people would just say no. And that's been, it's really pretty easy. Just no. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. It's not easy when your job is at stake. I don't want to minimize that. I'm not saying that. But a lot of us are in a situation where we could just say no. Just no. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That's wrong. It's not constitutional. A mandate is not a law law. It's a, it's an arbitrary rule passed by someone who has that doesn't have that authority. And I'll give you an example of the kinds of people that are calling the shots here. This is probably the most one of the most important stories that I have to tell you today. You know Francis Collins. I've been sort of uh, I'm not I'm not a fan. He's the head of the National Institutes for Health. I've told you that he made his fame on mapping the human genome, like back in the '90s. Uh, he was supposed to be, uh, you know, so brilliant, and he was a Christian, and the Christian community just fawned over him. I remember this. I'm holding up my hand. I remember watching this, and I thought, I didn't know. I didn't know who he was, or I don't even know that I ever saw him speak. I, maybe I did. But as I've gotten to know him, he, it just sounds like, I'm sorry, I can't. What kind? My mother, what, mother, what can I say about this man? <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's just a fool. He's a very wicked fool as far as I'm concerned. I played, it, played you this song he played for his staff because his last day, I think, was Sunday. Just a goofy, silly song. And every time he's on, uh, I just, uh, the, the goofiness of the man. But it's, it's a dangerous goofiness. You know, there are people that are just wicked and they're kind of smart wicked and there are people that are kind of dumb wicked. And uh, that's what he strikes me as. So he's deeply involved in this. And let me just tell you, give you an example of now, it's not just an impression of the kinds of things that he was up to. This is very important. This is an exchange. Actually, I think I'll better give you more background before I talk about this. When the COVID lockdown started, a group of uh, world-renowned medical personnel wrote what was called the Great Barrington Declaration. We talked about it. This is such a long time ago. It seems like oh so so yesterday. But the Great Barrington Declaration, and they said, as infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection. And at that time, they have uh, they have 890,000 signatures. They've got, um, let's see, it's a group of scientists. This was filed on October the 4th, okay? So way back, October the 4th, um, I want to tell you more about it. If the three doctors spearheading this were Dr. Martin Kulldorff, who's the professor of medicine at Harvard University, a biostatistician, statistician, an epidemiologist with expertise in detecting and monitoring infectious disease outbreaks and vaccine safety evaluations. Dr. Sinetra Gupta, a professor at Oxford University, an epidemiologist with expertise in immunology, vaccine development and Mathematical Modeling of Infectious Diseases. And to Dr. J. Bhattacharya, professor at Stanford University Medical School, physician, epidemiologist, health economist, public health policy expert focusing on infectious diseases and vulnerable populations. And then there was a Nobel laureate... Uh, Whose name I don't have in front of me. Uh, so that's one of the signers. I think there's like, as I recall, I don't see the numbers in front of me. I think there was like 14,000 uh, doctors worldwide who've signed this, and then the 890,000 others who are medical personnel. All right. So and basically they're saying that uh, in the Barrington Declaration that the shutdowns and lockdowns are so harmful for children, like not going to school, for the social construct, for you know the the fallout, suicides and job loss and economic problems and psychological struggles and all of that. Uh, that natural immunity, herd immunity, uh, with uh, targeting a a focus group of the more vulnerable to treat them more aggressively, but not a general population shutdown. That's basically what they're saying. All right, so knowing that, the Barrington Declaration was filed on October 4th. And now, because of a Freedom of Information Act filing, I don't know who did that. might have been Judicial Watch, but I don't know. On October the 8th, which was four days later, uh, there, An email has been revealed between Francis Collins and Dr. Fauci, and that's what Brett is going to ask Dr. Collins about in this clip. Let's listen. Clip 8.
2: In a newly released set of emails received from Freedom of Information Act between you and Dr. Fauci in October of 2020, you referenced the Great Barrington Declaration. That was a group of epidemiologists and public health scientists who wrote, quote, We have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of prevailing COVID-19 policies. Continuing current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health. In this email to Dr. Fauci and Cliff Lane at NIH, you write, quote, Hi, Tony and Cliff, see, and you connect to the Great Barrington Declaration link, this proposal from three fringe epidemiologists who met with the secretary seems to be getting a lot of attention, and even a co-signature from a Nobel Prize winner, Mike Levitt, at Stanford. There needs to be a quick and devastating public takedown of its premises. I don't see anything like that online yet. Is it underway? Francis, did you write that?
3: I did write that, and Why? I will stand by that. Let, let me explain. What was being proposed there was basically saying, uh, let's not worry about mitigation. Let's just let this virus rip. Uh, This is, of course, before we had vaccines. And basically these, I will call them fringe epidemiologists who really did not have the credentials to be making such a grand sweeping statement, were saying, just let the virus run through the population and eventually then everybody will have had it and we'll be okay. Hundreds of thousands of people would have died uh, if we had followed that strategy. So I'm sorry. I was opposed to that. I still am, and I'm not going to uh, apologize for it. There are times when people make crazy uh, proposals on the basis of pseudoscience, and that needs to be called
1: out. So these are fringe people. Dr. Martin Koldorf of Harvard University, a biostatician. I need to read all this again. Dr. Sunetra Gupta, professor at Oxford University, epidemiologist, uh, Dr. Jay Botticera, professor at Stanford University Medical School, epidemiologist, health economist, on and on. These are fringe. These guys are just fringe. You know, we're you know, using, like, what, fringe information on health. And so here's the deal. You think about what Dr. Collins said here. This proposal from three fringe epidemiologists who met with the secretary seems to be getting a lot of attention. And even a co-signer from a Nobel Prize winner, Michael Levitt at Stanford, another French person, I guess. Yeah, he must have been in the fringe list, too. There needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. We have to stop them. We have to shut them up. Could I just point out to you that if you've ever studied science, and you all have, surely, uh, there's scientific theory, and you have a hypothesis. And the whole process of science is that you debate uh, your findings. Uh, this is it. We want to know what the truth is, right? Right? Don't we want to know that in science? That's why science gained so much trust by people was because it was supposed to be objective fact. But not so with Francis Collins and um, Dr. Fauci. They have to stop. These people have to be devastatingly taken down. We've got to. Disgrace them. We've got to make sure that no one listens to them and their warning about the effects of this on society. And so, let me just tell you this: uh, this is an article. Um, actually, I don't know who did this article. Uh, it's uh, it tracks what actually happened in the days that followed. So, uh, the Great Barrington Declaration was decla- was written and published on October the fourth. This email from Colin Stefauci happened on October the 8th, four days later. So what happened? You go back and you look into Google. And so um, a web search of Google in that time period is quite telling, aside from the site itself and a Federalist article praising it, even my non—I'm sorry, there's no author written his name on this article—even my non-Google web search turns up mostly negative hits on the topic, including some doozies. The Guardian. Uh, wasted no time at all writing a hit piece the very next day. And it was titled, Herd Immunity Letter Signed by Fake Experts, Including Doctor, and it has their names in it. And here's another one, U.S. News and World. The Great Barrington Declaration, when arrogance leads to... Uh, the Great Barrington Declaration calls for a focused protection approach with a goal of herd immunity to the novel coronavirus the, there is a Long History of Human Arrogance. That's their sub subtitle. And this one is from um, conversation.com. These are Google searches. This is what's coming up at the top when you try to Google the, the Great Barrington Declaration. Five failings of the Great Barrington Declaration's dangerous—these are cutoffs, so I can't read all of the, the end of it. So uh, it says, the Great Barrington—in the subtitle, the Great Barrington Declaration supported by U.S. President Donald Trump is naive and dangerous— Physicians and scientists must be responsible in our pronouncements and not so mistrust of. So that's, um, here's another one. The Great Barrington Declaration, Capitalism's Global Policy of her- Herd Immunity. And then here's another one. This is, uh, why has Google, this is, uh, hang on. So this Okay, I'm just going to read this because I'm not quite sure. This, this is one of the headings that comes up on Google when you, when you searched on that day that the Great Barrington Declaration—no, after the word went out to Dr. Fauci that they need to stop. We stopped. This is in October. Why has Google censored the Great Barrington Declaration? The two most popular subreddits for discussion of the coronavirus regarding COVID-19 and cr- cr- coronavirus have both been removed. Uh, Links to the great have both removed links to the Great Barrington Declaration, so they actually just completely wiped it off the internet, so that you couldn't find it. And so they did a devastating takedown. They actually did it. And why? Because uh, because they disagreed, and because they want you to get a vaccine and a booster and another vaccine, because they're tied to the business interests. They're tied to the um, Bill Gates of the world, who are making tons of money, as I suspect. I just suspect Dr. Fauci with his patents and ties to Pfizer and uh, no doubt Francis Collins too. What else would explain uh, his anger and doubling down on this? Uh, So um, we're, we're in a situation where it's just so corrupt. And the, the scary thing about it is that so many of our friends and neighbors are still, still don't see it. They just don't understand. And that's why we just have to keep hammering away, you know, fact-checked by nature, as Dr. Robert Malone says. It's such a great phrase, fact-checked by nature. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
5: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.